0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living podcast in episode number 18. I'm your host, Damian Ross, and if you didn't know, for whatever reason, I happen to publish a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living, and you can grab a free subscription at rootlessliving.com. Head over and do that now. Well, not now, after you listen to this episode. On this episode, I chat with Joe Holland, and he is the owner and CEO of Harvest Hosts. We get to hear from someone that experienced true burnout and was able to find the balance he needed with work and play. Let's get into the episode. All right, let's welcome Joel to the show. Joel, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, man. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. And um, I'm excited to talk about the RV lifestyle. It's something I'm very passionate about, and I know you are too. So this should be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you here too. Now, where in the world are you? I bet you're in some really just kind of boring spot. So where are you?
1: Yes, yes, super, super boring. Uh, you know, I'm actually looking out uh, through my back window. I'm looking at the World Center of Racing. I'm in the Daytona 500 infield, or the Daytona International Speedway infield. Got posted up last night. We'll be here for 11 days, uh, six races, including the Daytona 500 on February 16. And so it's um, always been a bucket list list item of mine to come to this race. It's the first race of the year for NASCAR. Uh, it's less about the racing. But for me, it's more the spectacle of 200,000 people, thousands of RVs. It's just, it is the tailgate epicenter of the world in some ways so i'm excited to be here
0: no it sounds really cool i'm not a nascar guy and by any means but man i think that would be something i wouldn't mind adding to my bucket list as well too because when you do see it on tv and you see everyone in the middle standing on the roofs of their rv watching the race did you get yourself a big uh like headset that you can mute out all the sounds
1: yes well (laughs) yes And, and man i'll tell you what so so yesterday was day one we rolled in at the you know, first hour, you could check in 11 days early, 11 days early. And we were one of 250 RVs waiting to get checked through security and in. So the, that gives you an idea of the energy of this place. So the energy is just palpable. And um, in answer to your question, yes, got the headset. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I both have the noise cancel. You, really, you actually really need them because these cars are so loud that it will, it hurts your, it'll damage your ears if you don't have headsets. When they come by, when they drive by, you feel it. It rumbles your body, and so this is why when, when I tell people we go and we try to go to at least one NASCAR race every year, usually at a different track, just to experience different parts of the country. When I tell tell people we do it, either they get it or they don't get it. If they don't get it, they've seen it on television and it's boring, and I agree. Like watching cars go around a circle on television, I don't understand it. But when you're here and you can smell the burning tires and see the people, you know, screaming and yelling and feel the cars drive by and smell the tailgate barbecues. It's just, it's that's the experience. So um I'll let you know how it goes at the end. But I think it's gonna be something I'm gonna encourage you to add to your bucket list.
0: That's cool. I can't wait to hear about it too. Now, what do you consider yourself? I go through a little rapid fire questions here just to get to know you real quick and so the listeners get to know you. Uh do you consider yourself a full timer, part-timer, some timer in regards to the R V lifestyle?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say that we are part timers, uh, so we have a home base in Vale, Colorado, and jump out a few months a year. So you know, we do spend you know sometimes a hundred days a year uh, in the RV on the road, different seasons. So right right now, of course, we're in the dead of winter. Uh, I'm I'm out for a month this time, and then I'll go back um, to Vale, and then come back out in the spring, and then. The summer, So we try to get out, you know, all the different seasons. Going back to a home base works best for us. I admire and respect full timers. I just don't think that I don't think I could do it because I like having a home base.
0: Yeah, I'm leaning a little bit towards at some point, obviously, wanting a home base. I think the idea of being able to go back somewhere and just kind of regroup, refocus, maybe do some repairs on the rig. Um, I I do feel like there's this weird phenomenon that if you're not doing it full time, you shouldn't do it at all kind of talk I hear sometimes. I'm like, wait, what's that? Like, it can be part of your life. It doesn't have to be all your life. You know, you can make it work the way it works for you. I think that's where, when I use the coin like rootless living, That's what I'm talking about. It's just a a life that's very freeing for yourself. And you get to define what that looks like. So that's cool. I don't think I've had a a home baser on yet. So it's good for people to hear that that's what is possible. And that people can do that. When you are traveling, who's traveling with you?
1: Yeah, so my wife is a veterinarian uh, in Vail. And so typically her job is obviously a little less flexible schedule uh, wise. This trip is an example. I drove from Colorado across the country uh, down to Virginia, then down to Florida, was at the beach for a few days. Now I'm here. She's going to fly in uh, and then meet me and spend um, a week and then fly back. That's our typical arrangement is that I'm out on the road and she'll fly in to meet me and then go back to work. But then we will do longer trips together and then we'll bring a whole gaggle of animals. And so we have two ferrets and three cats, which is uh, in some ways absurd. But I think when you take into consideration that my wife's a veterinarian, it becomes more acceptable <laughs> <laughs> that we have a traveling zoo on our hands. Um and they all travel really well, actually. Like the ferrets are mischievous, so we've got to watch out for them. Like they, they, if there is anything, like if there's a hole the size of a quarter, they'll find a way to get into it. So, so in a way, they'll help you stress test your rig <laughs> for, for problems, problem areas, they'll find them. Um, and then the cats, you know, cats are chill. So they, they travel pretty well. They don't really care where they are.
0: Gotcha. And what do you call it? When, what kind of rig do you have that you get tested by your ferrets? <laughs> what are you currently using <laughs> the travel in?
1: So... Uh, I think you and I are very similar in this way, but we're in a 2020 Grand Design Solitude 310 GK. So, we started our travel, our RV life uh, in 2014 with a Grand Design Reflection 303 RLS. And that thing carried us for six years, and it was a great unit. I loved it. Ultimately, like last year, end of last year, I I was cut off by a gas tanker and actually crashed the unit. And totaled it but it was a good everyone's fine so it wasn't like a a dangerous situation it was just frustrating Mm. but it it pushed us to get a new rig because it was total and i don't know man like we just it's it's and it's a discussion i'm sure you've had a million times and it's one that it's a personal decision for every person we like fifth wheels because of the layout like i like having two you know two different floors it just feels like different compartments it just feels more like I could spend a lot of time in here. I never get cabin fever. Mm. I also love my truck. And so to, to pull this unit and then disconnect and have my truck as my, you know, my toad, as it were, is pretty cool. So the, the the fifth wheel thing works for us. And then we love, you know, we love Grand Design. Not sponsored by them, but I'll tell anybody who listens that they're just, the quality is wonderful.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I, they're not a sponsor of this podcast or an advertiser in the magazine, but I will say that they make a, a really quality product and they stand behind it. Now, the Reflection was a, a fifth wheel because they also make a bumper pull as well. But you guys have always had fifth wheels?
1: Yes, always had fifth wheels. Yeah, that one, I, I, I don't fully understand. Well, I mean, if it's a pricing thing, then I get it. But some of these bump pulls and a fifth wheel, in which case, I don't know why you'd get a bumper pull because the, I mean, there's a lot of differences, right? But the way it handles on the truck, because you're using a truck suspension for cornering and whatnot, it dry, like driving a fifth wheel is super simple. But you also have these nice high ceilings that uh, the travel trailers don't have. And and there's something about a nice tall ceiling that, again, makes it feel open and, and not, uh, I never get claustrophobic in this thing.
0: Yeah, I never feel like I'm in a in an RV when I'm in my unit, but I have definitely been in other units where I feel like, wow, I'm in, this is a trailer. I'm in an RV and I feel like the fifth wheel does have that element to it. I mean, the class A's do, but when you get into eight foot ceilings, you're talking about a very expensive class A and that's hard. That's one of the rough, I'm like six, six, almost six, seven, I guess. I don't know when you drop the half, but I'm pretty sure it's after, you know, six, three. (laughs) <laughs> I just it would be rough to be in like just a standard kind of travel trailer or a class A at this height and the fifth wheels really do do that. Yep. Now, you started you got your first rig in 2014. Had you done any kind of like RV traveling or camping or anything like that before that?
1: Yes, um a little bit. And so basically the short story is we were living in the Washington DC area. Um I was running a a stock media company, um stock video production music. Um, all that good stuff. And so it was was a a good sized company, grew grew this technology company to a fairly large size. And I I, I kind of ended up burning out. And I was just like, one day, I just got tired of sitting in a cubicle, doing the same thing I've been doing for years, and was feeling really restless. And I'd always had this notion in my mind that the solution to my problems would be the Great American Road Trip like just getting out of the city and getting onto the open road to clear my mind and feel the breeze, right? You know, we all we we all have a tendency to romanticize things. And then a lot of times they don't turn out like we expected. RVing was very, it was amazingly different. So I had this inkling. Uh, I talked to my wife and I was like, you know, let's would you be hoping to go rent an RV and do like do a week and see what we think? And she's adventurous. So she says, sure. So we actually flew up to Nova Scotia, rented uh, a piece of garbage uh, Cruise America which I don't recommend anybody do. It's just not a good, it, it does not give you a feel for what RVing is like. But but here we are in this like box on wheels that's dirty and broken. And we go to um, Nova uh, Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, and we RV the whole island. And in spite of the fact that we were in a piece of garbage box, it was awesome. And we had so much fun. And it, and it was exactly like I thought it would be. I felt so free. So liberated uh, from the cubicle. And so we came home and kind of spontaneously, I was like, we're going to chase this. We're going to chase this feeling and went out and bought a truck and um, bought that first fifth wheel uh, kind of on a whim. Like there was a, an RV dealership not too far outside of DC. Went there one day, looked at units, saw the reflection. It was the first year grand design and made the unit. We were like, yep, this is it. Bought it right there for cash and drove off a lot. <laughs> so it was like, it was a mixture of spontaneous, um, but I think also just pent up. It was something I'd want to do for so long. You know, and and the next thing I'll say is like, we fully expected after getting on the road with our new unit, I fully expected to get, ty- to get over it at some point. To so basically do it until it, like the juice ran out and be like, okay, I'm done with the RV thing. Well, you know, here we are seven years later, six years later, and we're more in love with it now than ever. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Yeah, I think one of the, the rental experiences I just like was talking to someone and it was like an aha moment that they were basically saying that they rented it and they had a terrible experience and they'd never full time RV. And I was like, Well, that was because you did it like as a vacation. You had to think of everything you need and get it all. You had to go and rent it, learn it while you're renting it within the week, you probably went during a weekend or a holiday when everything is massively packed and crowded. And then you got back and you had to unload it all and make sure you got everything out of the rig and then return the rig. That does sound like a really stressful week. And I can see how people, when they do that renting experience, that they can be like, oh, this was terrible. I would never want to do this You know, full time. And again, a lot of them don't have, the ones you're renting don't have slides. They're very small. They've been used by thousands of people. It's not, it's not the best way to like almost check the lifestyle. It is a good way to maybe test out certain rigs if you're renting rigs that are very similar to what you want. But yeah, anyone that I've known that's rented for a week has been like, I could never do that lifestyle. I'm like, because you weren't doing that lifestyle. It's really different once you're out on the road and stuff.
1: It's a really, that's, a really good, that's a really good point. That, I, I, I never really thought about it that way. But I think that there's like two, two things have changed now uh in the way i look at it one for renters these days so when friends ask me about the rv lifestyle i say number one don't rent a cruise america don't, don't rent any of these el monte don't rent anything that's a rental go on outdoorsy.com or rvshare.com find an actual like unit owned by someone else and like essentially airbnb it so then you can choose a good unit you can actually pick something that is not a rent you know hasn't been rented by thousands of people it's going to be cleaner you can get exactly the type of thing you want, not one of these big classy boxes on wheels. And then, and then second, it's like you said, one of my favorite things about RVing is that you have all the comforts of home. So when you arrive to your RV, the bed's exactly like you like it, the pillows are like you like it. I have all my dishes, my favorite coffee, like everything's in here just like I like it. And you obviously have, it takes time to get to that experience a rental doesn't give you that. So so that's like a good point. A big benefit of RVing, you don't get to experience as a renter, but you can kind of anticipate it, like anticipate what it's like to have all the comforts of home in your rig at your ready.
0: Right. No, without a doubt. So you're in DC, you're running a company that's kind of giving you some, some burnout. When does the, explain the transition from deciding to be able to do this part-time to are you still with that company like what's all gone on between kind of the the burnout feeling the testing for a week and then grabbing the rv how did you kind of integrate being able to go on these like you know i mean it's still a month is a good time away how were you able to integrate that into your lifestyle
1: it's a great question and and the learning from this was was incredible and i think very applicable to anyone who who runs a company or even works for a company but my so yes i was burned i was burning out in my mind i always i tend to like make things binary like it's like a zero or one so in this case it was like do i just fully like leave the company and go do something else or do i stay with it and keep doing what i'm doing in this day-to-day like slog luckily i didn't really have a choice like i couldn't just like sell the company that it's not that easy um, and I also knew that I would be really burned out if I kept doing what I was doing. So I just did an experiment, which was to jump in the RV and disappear for a month. Like you said, mm-hmm. and my fear, I mean, I, I, was really worried. was like, if I'm not showing up to the office, employees are going to stop showing up. They're not going to be motivated. They're going to resent me for being on the road. Everything is going to fall apart. The company's going to crater and be out of business in like a month. Like those are the like fatalistic thoughts I had then the reality was none of that happened. Like I left for a month and everything worked perfectly well, just like it always had because I had great employees, right? Like you start by hiring great people. So they were already great employees. They appreciated the fact that I was trusting them with the keys to the kingdom. And that actually in a way almost made them better employees. Cause it was like, it's like telling your kids, I believe in you, right? right. Um, typically, when you tell someone you believe in them, they don't turn around and stab you in the back. They, they actually want to prove that you were right. And I was able to communicate from the road. And that's the beautiful thing about this day and age is like you and I are sitting here chatting and using, you know, internet over the cell phone, pretty much anywhere in the country you can. Get. And so I was in touch with my team and I felt alive and my creativity really started coming back. You know, by the end of that month, I was happier, the team was happier, and proved to me a company of almost 100 employees doing like $30 million in revenue. Like, it wasn't a small company, and I was able to disappear as the CEO, and it was fine.
0: You know, I think a lot of times, too, I look back to, you know, maybe this is a case study of one. When I got out of high school, and you get into more college, the the gaming the system was kind of gone. And I think sometimes when your boss is gone you're right there's a lot of like hey we really trust you now and now it's like there isn't a system to game he's not here watching so we can either not work and not get our work done and lose our job or we can continue to work and work harder i think it's a real testament to kind of just you and how you ran your company because i feel like most owners and managers they can't do that they can't not have eyes on for some reason and it's like why did you like you said to the beginning why did you hire people that you can't trust If you can't leave for a month, then clearly you hired the wrong people in a way. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a big proponent for remote work. And I feel like that is, that is one where if you can leave for a month and your company is doing a little bit better, that's, that's gotta be a good aha moment. Now, how much longer did you do that? Do you still own uh, that company or like give me through the transition of work?
1: Yeah. So so company uh company named storyblocks, and we had a few products is video blocks, audio blocks, and graphic stock and yeah basically, I did that for um i guess over a year yeah, it was over a year that i that I did that and um and it worked company kept growing everything was went well, but what I kind of realized by the end of that year was i wanted I wanted to step out of um day to day operations and really like Fully disconnect um, to try to move on to the next thing. Sold part of the company to a private equity firm. I promoted one of my um, employees to become a CEO, and he was you know a guy who had proven himself a wonderful manager, had the respect of the team um, and our investors. And so it was actually a relatively simple transition. Promoted him. I stayed around DC for a few months just to make sure the transition was okay, and it stuck, and it did. And and. It, In fact, I would argue the company was being better run by the new CEO because he was really like excited and engaged and I was really starting to check out. And so after that transition, this took us to like 2016, uh, beginning of 2016, that's when Mary Ashley and I jumped in the RV, started just kind of driving aimlessly, maybe not aimlessly, but we wanted to see the country. So we ended up driving through all 48 lower states and ultimately, decided to move to Vail, Colorado, because we love the mountains and just loved the vibe that we were feeling in Colorado. So RV kind of helped us see, literally see the whole country and uh, make the decision, you know, for where we wanted to move next, which was cool.
0: Yeah, I think if, you know, the, my own personal story is very similar since sense that I got a little burned out in California and was like, you know, fixer-upper. Oh, I'll move to Texas. Everything's so cheap. And then I was kind of like, well, what if it's not Texas? And this lifestyle really does afford you that kind of opportunity to get out and visit different areas. I mean, as long as you don't want to move, let's say, to like really big cities, then it's kind of tough in an RV or at least a big fifth wheel to really be in the big, larger metropolitan areas. But if you just want to get out of that, this is a great way to do it. And then it's, you know, it's not... I'm doing it forever. I mean, I literally launched not with a forever mindset. It was more, I want to figure out where I want to call home next. And uh, so far, this is home right now, you know, just being able to continue to do this. I haven't done all 48. I think I'm at 42, obviously not including Hawaii. So we're in 2016. We're doing the the 48 lower. Um, Was the wife already a veterinarian at this point? Because that's got to be a little bit tough being able to put kind of the career on pause. Or was that a relatively new thing?
1: um No, but yeah, actually, so so that's kind of what she did. She'd been a, a veterinarian in Washington D.C. She was actually D.C.'s only full-time wildlife veterinarian, oh. and she put you know put in her time with this group. uh And was that a good segue where she could either like sign up for another year or transition out? And so that we decided to both basically take a gap year. <laughs> She's you know paused her work. I you know. Paused the career and we just played for a year. And it was really fun. And and like I know that not everyone can do that necessarily. You plan like it's like taking a mini retirement um in your 30s instead of waiting till you're six, you know, six or seventies, right? Like I'm, it's like Tim Ferris, his whole thing of like take mini retirements throughout your life instead of waiting till the end when you may or may not be alive or able-bodied. Mm. Um I did the same thing with high school and college. I took a year off between high school and college. Everyone said, that's just not how you do it. That's dumb. And I did it and it was awesome. And I think it gave me a much better, I think I did much better in college because I had that experience. I respected it more. I, I came in like ready. And I think that that was the same thing uh, here in our like early thirties. We took that gap year, traveled, really like shook, you know, shook out the arms and legs. And then we were both really excited and ready to get back to work. And we wouldn't have had that same excitement level if we just kept working. I think that, you know, taking a little break can, can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I always, it's funny, I, I, when I talk to people and they're like, well, you know, I'm at my job and, you know, if I quit my job, I don't know if I'd have a job when I got back or, you know, and I'm like, why not just set your life up that if something happened to your job, instead of immediately looking for your next job, take some time off. And travel and do things. And so I've had that conversation with people, like just have the money and the finances and the resources available that if you lost your job, which happens to a lot of people, that you can then use that as your transitional year and then maybe figure out where it is that you want to live and then start applying. And I've had a guest on that did something similar. They decided to start their own business and never went back, but they basically saved up so they could do like almost like a 10-month trip around the world. They, I think they launched when one of them got let go for you know, just the company downsizing. I think that's actually really smart and cool too. I do want to talk about some of the stuff that you got currently going on as well. So sometime between 2016 and 2018, you found Harvest Hosts. And tell me this story. I want to hear about how this all went down.
1: Yeah, so yeah, because it, it, it connects nicely. You know, basically, Mary Ashley and I took that year, traveled, played, bought a house in Vail, Colorado, became, I was a ski bum for that, you know, what first winter out there, skied something like 70 days, and it was all amazing. By year two, I started becoming a little listless. We were, like, kind of feeling like, okay, I played a whole lot, and that was a lot of fun. I'm no longer burned out, and now the fun is starting, I'm starting to feel a little guilty. Mm. Like, for for me, like playing without a little bit of work, um, it, it's not as fun. Like I like the contrast. And so year two, which was in 2017, I started really thinking about what was next. Like, uh, you know, I want to run another business. Um, what does that look like? And I started thinking of ideas and looking at businesses. And that, that like, that phase was a lot of fun too, you know, for, for a while. And then I started getting worried. I started getting really worried around, wow, like what if I can't figure out what is next? Like what if I can't, what if it was, I was a one hit wonder and like story blocks was a fluke and I just can't do this again. And it was like trying to force artwork. Like the more, the harder I tried to like force myself into like thinking up a business, the worse the results. Hmm. And ultimately I just, I kind of realized that and I stopped trying so hard and I just sat back and said, all right, like, what do I love? Like, what do I love doing? Like, what are the things that I love doing? RVing was top of that list, as was skiing. What do I love doing? And how could I kind of like take that to more people? Well, the ski industry was already, like they had their things figured out with Vail Company and the Epic Pass. Like, it was hard to imagine how I could take the skiing experience and make it better and get it to more people. But for RVing, I thought there were, there were definite ways to do it. And and one of them was, you know, the whole travel lifestyle you're in this, you know, you're on the road, you're feeling the sense of freedom. And then a lot of times you get to campgrounds um, or God forbid Walmart parking lots. And it's just like, it uh, kind of destroys that illusion. And so, you know, as we're traveling, I'm seeing all this farmland and all these beautiful wineries and breweries and thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we could just park for the night in one of these wineries, you know, park among the vines, go in, taste a bunch of wine. That novel idea I thought was novel, helped me find Harvest Toasts. And Harvest Host was was exactly that this, um, inexpensive membership that allowed RVers to stay overnight for free at the time, hundreds of wineries and breweries and distilleries and things like that. And it was a really cool concept. Um, and a really small company, like it was just, you know, this, this husband wife team that had done a wonderful job building up this like grassroots group of participants. And they had this kind of, you know, WordPress website. It was not that great and kind of broken. They didn't have an app. Uh, or if they did have an app, it didn't. Really, it, was, it didn't really work that well, and so I was excited because I'm like, okay, cool concept, and I can take my technology background and improve this, with the goal of trying to help more RVers experience this lifestyle. So, it like, checked all the boxes with something I already know how to do, technology, something I loved RVing, and my goal of trying to take something I love and get it to more people. So, I reached out cold to, to the owners, and I was like, hey, random question, but. Mm-hmm. I love your business. Have you, do you have any interest in selling it? Kind of a ridiculous thing to like, uh, you know, Like, how, who's it's never going to work. And it kind of didn't like they, they did respond and they said, thank you very much for your interest. Um, we are not interested in selling. We're having fun with this, but you know, we're happy to have a chat just to say hi and get to know you. I got to, you know, basically started talking to them. And over the course of three months we got to know each other pretty well. And I, you know, convinced Don and Kim that um, my intentions were were really pure, that I wasn't just trying to come into this to build a huge financial success. I'd already done that with one business and it got me into some, you know, it, it's what burned me out. I was always having to worry about growth and finance and blah, blah, blah. And this time around, really what I wanted was a passion business that I just loved and finances would be second to that. Um, and so I think as as they got comfortable with that and realized that, I would kind of take their baby and take it to the next level in a good way. We reached a reached a deal and ended up um buying the company in 2018.
0: I wanna go back to I think it is funny as a I wouldn't really necessarily refer to myself as a serial entrepreneur, but I definitely come up with really good ideas and then I get on the interweb and found out that someone already <laughs> created the business around my really good idea. And <laughs> yeah. it's interesting that you kind of went through the same Thing found the business, and then you know, I mean, the cold call of all cold calls. You don't know if someone's interested in selling or where they're at. And I give them kudos too. I mean, I literally was talking about this yesterday. That I don't know why we stop taking calls unless a deal can happen. Like, well, what's wrong with just building business friendships? You know what I mean? Like, even if there's if it, you can't monetize it, what's wrong with taking the call and getting to know someone? Because you just never know what could happen down the road. And then obviously, as they got to know you. The whole no like and trust then they were willing to sell it to you which i mean speaks volumes to them too as just humans that they're not looking just to, to cash out that they really want to make sure that the, that the the brand stays where it needs to stay and continue to go now since you've taken over let's talk about some of the improvements because i think one of the things i've seen is just the landscape of where you can actually stay now as opposed to like where you started out it was just vineyards and breweries it's really kind of opened up, I would say, like in the last year. Take us through that transition.
1: Yeah, so we're now going on two years of uh, owning the company, and it's been an amazing two years. We kind of stuck around improving the technology, and so the website, we did a complete gut overhaul of the website, You know, rebuilt it on a custom platform, rebuilt the whole routing tools for how you actually can search for and find hosts, rebuilt the app multiple times, you know, both for Android and iOS. So I think today, like the ability to actually jump on the website or the app and search for hosts, see the photos, see the member experiences, uh, and 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 go to the locations, it's inarguably much better. And then the second big thing was grow the host network. I think that like growing membership is obviously important for us for paying the bills. And we've, hi- you know, and we've hired a bunch of people. Um, we have host recruiters, we have five people in customer service. We have a head of marketing, head of development, head of design. So we actually have a pretty good team now. Fully remote, by the way. Fully distributed. We we all work over Slack. A couple of team are full-time RVers. Some of the team are former employees of mine from the other company, but and all over the country. So fully distributed. We have to pay the bills. So you know, getting more members was important. But really, what we focused on was getting more hosts because I always had this. And, and, and it, it's just correct that for our business to really succeed, we need to make members really happy. And you make members happiest by giving them more cool, unique places to stay overnight. And so when we bought the company, there were 600 locations. We now have over 1,300. And so wow. it's, been a, it's been a large expansion, like you said. We're currently adding about two a day, two new hosts per day, and all kinds of different you know types now. We added golf courses. We added, we have things like skydiving, um, caves, you know, you name it. We're trying to add it because, um, I think that's what makes Harvest Hosts fun. Having cool places to stay and support local businesses, that is Harvest Hosts. And if we nail the network, then membership will always be happy and people will want to join.
0: And I, I wanna provide my services that if you have a business idea and if I think it's really stupid, it's gonna be an amazing business idea. When people came to me with Airbnb, I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. When people came to me with Uber, I was like, are you out of your mind? You're going to get into the back of a stranger's car. And when I first heard of the idea of either staying at someone's business or their own personal property, and you know, there's really, it, it there's a, a big cost to it. They don't know who you are. I was like, this is, we're going to get murdered. That's what's going to happen. you know. <laughs> and I will say it's been the best part of this lifestyle for someone that does spend quite a bit of time in, you know, campgrounds or state parks, the ability to get out of that and... Be it someone's business or someone's personal property, getting to meet them, to know them has been kind of life saving in this lifestyle. And there's a lot of people that don't know about Harvest Host, you know, and that blows my mind that are full timers or you'll talk to them like, no, what is that? Explain it to me. And you explain it to them and then it, their mind's blown like, well, I didn't, how did I not know about this? I will say that, you know, as someone that's been sober, you know, 23 years, there was a little bit of a stigma that it isn't around wineries and that I would feel bad because, you know, I can't really, there's no reason to buy wine that I would never drink, blah, blah, blah. And after having a conversation with you, I was even blown away just by all the, the, just the different, I'll use the word venues that you can stay at that are just mind blowing. And that most of them have other things besides alcohol to purchase. Like that's just not, that's not all that's available.
1: And in fact, over 50%, and then this was intentional, um, the former owners told us that they always tried to maintain at least half the inventory with nothing related to alcohol because so many people are, are either you know completely sober or just uninterested in alcohol-related establishments or with families. And so we, we've stuck with that, and we always make sure that at least half of our locations so in this case, like 700 of our locations, um, have nothing to do with alcohol in any way. Yeah, and even
0: the ones that do, there's still a lot of times cheese and crackers, which I'm all for. Like you'll know, yeah. buy that day in and day out. So it's not an issue. And then even the the properties that I've obviously have seen and stayed at are phenomenal as well, too. I mean, they're just you, you just don't get that experience at a campground or even a state park, especially if you're talking about a state park Friday through Sunday. Um I, I will say this. I don't know. I don't know the names of any park managers, and I'm a very you know, talkative, friendly guy, but I have quite a few friends now that were hosts that I've met through a service like this, where it's just like, this is amazing that you get to meet these people. They want to tell you all about their town, all about their city. You know, This business, go here. You need to try this. There's this hike over here. It is a phenomenal experience, and I can't recommend it enough. That's why I was so excited when we connected, where I was like, I, people need to hear about this. They need to know this is available. I appreciate that. So let's get into. I think one of the interesting things is is that there is a little bit of a transaction that takes place. And in the regards to you know, I, I don't know what the average is. You probably know this better. what an average you know one night stay, uh, whether it's a state park all the way, let's say a KOA, you know, you're I would say forty five dollars is what I'll use. My own little math is what you're doing on an overnight and you don't, you just get the overnight. You don't get anything else for that. And in this experience, you might have to pay somewhere around that, but you're receiving actual goods. And then you're actually helping a business that's trying to grow through its, you know, obviously it's retail sales. Explain how that kind of came out because I just, I feel like that's, I mean, obviously you weren't the first pitching that the original owners were, but I just, feel like that's such an interesting concept because, you know, it's, it's like a, a really cool way of bringing in new business, and obviously there's probably a ton of social behind it for the business owners because people are, hey, this is where we are. This is what we bought. Look where we're at. Look at the place that we're staying. How's that been for business owners?
1: It's been, yeah, it's been great. I love businesses that are truly like win-win situations all the way around for all the parties involved. With, with Harvest Host, that's how it is because our members obviously benefit because they get to stay somewhere really unique and cool um, inexpensively. But at the same time, the hosts are winning because they're sharing their you know products um, and making some money uh, at the same time. So the more our members use the hosts, the better the hosts do. Um, and then of course, we as the third part of that do well too, because you know we're a membership organization. But it's really cool because I check in with the hosts frequently. Like we'll do surveys um, to ask them how they're enjoying the program. Uh, whether they're saying, you know, sales have picked up, how much they're making, et cetera, et cetera. And then of course, first person accounts. When I go visit them myself, I'll ask them. It's all very different, but I mean, we have some wineries like, you know, like a winery in Kansas that is a gorgeous location. Not really the first place you would think necessarily to go find wine in Kansas, you know, off of the internet state 70. But I think that, you know, they're probably making an extra $20,000 a year, maybe from, from our members. And and by the way, the math we've run, our members are spending millions of dollars every year with these small businesses. So it's a real, it's real money, like millions of dollars being put right into the pockets of farmers and small business owners that, you know, some of whom are kind of struggling, you know, struggling to keep their properties viable. So it, like, that feels good because we want more open spaces, right? Like we want farmers to succeed. They're a really important part of the country. And so, every little bit helps. So obviously Harvest Host is not the make or break thing, but every little bit helps. And I think that's a really cool part of the story.
0: Yeah. I think one of my jaw dropping kind of experiences with the Harvest Host was in Vermont. It was uh, an old cattle farm uh, or dairy farm that had got turned into a flea market. And I had broken a leaf spring and did like a, you know, a temporary repair. And I called ahead and said, Hey, we're staying here. I just want to make sure it's okay if I replace a leaf spring and he's like of course it's not a problem i've got this great little area in the back you know we can set you up there unbeknownst to me he was a former mechanic and he brought like out air for me and jacks and like i was like this is amazing you know what i mean like it was really like he went above and beyond that he ever could have for someone And, and you know i think the one leaf spring took me like an hour and a half doing it there i was able to do all three for like in two hours you know just because of what he brought to the table and it was just a really cool it just you know as someone that's traveling it just reminded me of like what a neighbor would do you know what I mean and that was that was my experience that I was like this is I definitely hit the you know the the right host at the right time but I think it was also just permission-based that I asked ahead of time and that you know if not I'd figure out something else to do and somewhere else to go Probably a Walmart parking lot or something like that. (laughs) But I didn't expect air and I didn't expect all the different tools and things that he did to just make it that much easier. And then, you know, I'm not a mechanic, so he even came out and just inspected my work and was like, yeah, yeah, you're good to go. These, You know, you look like a pro. And it was just a really cool feeling. Now, let's talk a little bit about the the cost. I mean, obviously, I'm going to link all this stuff afterwards, but what's the cost for an annual membership to Harvest Hosts?
1: It's not much. Um so so our annual annual membership is $79. Um there are discount, you know, like we're typically offering a 15% discount, so um find a coupon before you purchase. So let's say that cost now is $67 a year. That you know the, the reason it's so low is that we want people to um like we do need to cover our overhead and pay our employees and all that, but we really want most of the money that's being spent to go back to these hosts that you visit, and right. so what we always you know say is take a percentage of what you would have paid at a campground, and I think your estimate was was probably what I would say like forty five dollars you know a night he's probably forty fifty bucks a night. so take part of that. we say twenty dollars at a minimum. obviously you can do whatever you want, but um, take part of what you would have spent, support the local business, and you get to come away with the product, wine fresh produce man i've gotten chocolate covered um um, blueberries in utah but that that's why that our membership's so low because i I tell a lot of people the price they're like that's too good to be true you can stay at you know a thousand places for free for 67 a year that doesn't make any sense um well it's because you know there is an expectation that you support the host to visit and that's why it's so inexpensive
0: yeah and it's really one of those things if you're like me and you just think of math you know if if you use it twice in a year, you've already broken even, 100%. Even if you are spending money while you're there, because I guarantee, I, I think the most expensive stay at a campground is the one night stay. There isn't a lot of, you know, if you're just doing a one night stay. Um, sometimes you can get discounts at campgrounds when you're doing like a week or two weeks, obviously. But the one night is the last minute kind of thing. And I think that's what's really cool about your service as well too, is that you can, there's so many spots and sites and venues and hosts available that you really can kind of play it by ear where obviously a a lot of these campgrounds that you really want to visit you got to plan months and months in advance to make sure that you get a spot and that's what I think I've really enjoyed about it is it's kind of like well let's just see what's here and it's like oh wow check this out there's a museum that you can stay at and we wanted to go to that museum anyways and that's what's really cool and different so just if anyone's thinking about it even at $79 for the year if you use it twice you're already right back to where you would have been just at a campground. And now you have the rest of the year, you know, where it basically it paid for itself and then some, which is really cool. And I do appreciate you keeping it low. Cause I wonder if, you know, people would be like, I don't know if I would use it that often. And once you do it once, it's one of those things. It, it's like the first thing you look for when you're traveling, especially if you're doing a long travel and you're like, we need to do a couple of overnights. Those are the spots you look for. And year after year, there's just more and more, which is really cool. Do you have?
1: And and every, uh, my favorite part, honestly, uh, every time I stay at a harvest host location, I come away with a story of Mm. some sort and I can't say the same about campgrounds. And by the way, I love campgrounds. I'm like, it is not an us versus them situation. Campgrounds are super important. I spend a hundred days a year in them, right? Like they're very, they're utilitarian but I can't say that I typically leave a campground with some great story to tell. It served its purpose, much like a hotel. When I leave a Harvest Toast location, so two nights ago, I stayed at a golf course um, here in Florida, like right near the beach, and gorgeous golf course, um, a, uh, a, a Gary Player designed course, like amazing. I parked my rig right amongst these like beautiful trees, and then I got to chatting with the owner, And kind of learned the story of how she came to own this golf course. And basically, it had gone through some tough times, gone bankrupt because another golf course down the road went bankrupt. It was crushing all the home prices. And so she wanted to save her community. So she took over the golf course to save the homes. And like, really cool story. And so I learned what it's like to like run a golf course, um, where the big costs are, like what the issues are. It was neat. And like, I don't know, like I left. I left that course having, yes, a really nice stay, but also I learned, I just learned a lot of things and got to know a really cool owner. So I love the stories. And every time I stay at a Harvest Host location, there's a story like yours, you know, meeting that former mechanic to help you with the leaf spring. It's like, I don't know. It's just always, there's always something I want to tell people about after I stay at a Harvest Host location.
0: Yeah. And I, and I really do appreciate your transparency in the sense that, you know, you're not trying to replace the campground. Um, you know, it's just, that's not the motivation behind it. It's just giving people a a different outlet for seeing and experiencing things when they're out there. And you are right. It's the hosts. Like, like, sometimes when people ask me, why did you like this campground the most? I will say, I think it was the owners, to be honest with you, because, you know, everyone's got a dump and a water and electric hookups. And the same thing with the hosts at these properties, it's the people that are just phenomenal then you know just you got to think about it too because there are some you do have some hosts that there really isn't anything to purchase too right it's just about staying on their property
1: yes um we have less of those because that that's a harder (laughs) there's like this social contract that RVers, well all human beings want to fulfill uh if you're staying somewhere you want to give back somehow so we, we we try not to have too many locations where you can't buy anything but we do have some you're right
0: yeah, I think one of the ones I stayed at, I was kind of like, well, what, what is he selling? Like, it took me a little while, and it was nothing. <laughs> right. It was just, yeah, and I was like, what am I buying here? Because I don't need any hay. He's got a lot of hay. <laughs> you know? But I mean, just that in itself, you know, it's people use the term salt of the earth, you know, and, and I'm putting my California mind to this a lot of times, too. The idea of allowing someone to bring their RV into your parking lot of your business um, or, you know, a piece of area on your property it just sounds like a liability nightmare. You know what I mean? But that's really not the case at all, but it's just my California mind. It doesn't allow me to release that and, and see that this is just an amazing opportunity. And again, I want to say it's, it has been like a saving grace from going from campground to campground They have these little breaks where you meet people. And I've had experiences where I've been invited in for dinner. We're out to dinner. You know like hey we 're going to come over at five o'clock we 're bringing cocktails we'll we 'll set up near your little fire, and we 'd like to get to know you, uh, but if you don 't want to interact that 's available too. I feel like the hosts do a good job of kind of reading people, you know how much time and energy and the guests as well so it 's just overall it 's been an amazing experience so i I do want to talk a little bit about the business that I, I like what you did recently was your fifth wheel doesn't look like anyone else's fifth wheel anymore. You took a, a Grand Design Solitude and you changed it up a ton. Let's talk about, and I'll, I'll try to figure out a way to include some photos somewhere in the notes so people can see it. But talk about what you recently did.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we took a perfectly good brand new Solitude with um, a perfectly good paint job and we wrapped the whole thing in custom uh, branding. And so we actually did a full vinyl wrap head to toe. Um, all 34 feet and, you know, 13 feet high of it with uh, Harvest Host's logo. So it's like, we we literally look like a traveling wine bottle now. It's our wine bottle logo. Um, The butt of the unit is essentially a big billboard. uh, Talks about Harvest Host and what we do with the website address. And it came out really well. It looks sharp. Um, And it was surprisingly affordable. I, I found a place in Virginia that wraps ambulances and fire trucks and this sort of thing. So this is what they do. And they designed it for us and did the whole wrap for $4,800. And you know, it's not, it's not nothing, but as a business expense, the amount of attention that I get on the road, uh, every campground I go into, it's like an invitation for people to come up and either they're members, so I hand out sunglasses, or yes. they're not members and they're like, what is this? And so it's just a great way to like connect with people and chat about the business or you're at Daytona in the infield right now where I have the butt facing out towards the main road here so that, well, look, I'm looking at the stands. About 100,000 people from the stands can see my brand. Nice. And, uh, and last night we wrapped uh, blinking LED lights around the unit just to make sure it drew even more attention. So <laughs> uh, so we have fun with it. I just think it's, it's fun. Like, I, I'm very proud of the Harvest Hosts brand. And for me, it's a badge. And to have, it, uh, to have my unit be that badge driving down the road, it feels good. It just feels good knowing that on the highway, everyone's looking at our brand.
0: Yeah, and I know you and I talked about this. I've been thinking about doing it too, obviously, for the magazine, especially the back section like you talked about. That's just on the road and people are parked behind me. And why not have – I don't know if the guy in the little Honda Civic has been dreaming about living full-time on the road, and we'll see that ad. And it's a one-time fee. I was really actually – Really impressed with the cost and how good the quality of it was. The video you shot, and I'll, I'll link that in the notes as well, too. So if people want to see it, and maybe they're thinking about getting their, their RV wrap. I will say at the golf course, though, did you have any people come up to you and think that you were selling wine? Has that been, you know, if they don't know the brand, has that been like a little thing where it's like, hey, I've got my little taster goblet here, let's go? And then, you yeah, have to well, explain.
1: <laughs> it's funny you say that because when I pulled into the golf course here in Florida, the first, I'm ready for some wine. That's what he said. So (laughs) it, um, again, it gets the conversation started though, which I like. Um, To help, I mean, so a lot of people, if I'm not there to talk to, they'll look at the unit, right? And on all the sides, I have the tagline, RV camping on farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Uh, So I try to like get across what it is. Um, There are some, sometimes some confusion around whether it's a rental unit, because when you see a fully wrapped thing, you think that's a rental. Mm. And I always reply, I'm like, who would rent this who who would rent a huge fifth wheel i don 't know you, i don 't think you can rent fifth wheels <laughs> but but that 's the only confusion you have to overcome is whether this is a rental unit itself, and so some people think that we rent units, and uh, that that 's just something that it 's hard to overcome
0: <laughs> I could see that that 's funny, especially if someone is not. In the lifestyle and doesn't know that, I do. I you know you share a good point. When I do see on outdoorsy or RV Share fifth wheels, I'm like, please tell me these people have some experience because my first week <laughs> pulling this thing was not a vacation in any shape or form. It was nerve wracking, of all nerve wracking. And yeah, it's kind of a that's a funny point. <laughs> so normally I I like to ask people about advice about you know the digital nomad life and you know if you could do things differently, what would you do? I like your story being, you know, you know, a self-proclaimed part-timer and how you actually use this lifestyle to kind of revamp through a burnout and then bring back, you know, kind of, you know, wanting to be back in business and create something and finding something that's really more of a passion play than a financial play. And what's some advice, I guess, for just the burnout, you know, like what is something you would, Tell someone that's in your position, that's had the success that they probably wanted, but they find themselves really burning out. Do you have advice for them in any way, shape, or form?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, and, and I think that I think the advice is is pretty simple. Um, balance is key, and it sounds so trite because everyone everyone will tell you that, and like everyone knows you should have a balanced lifestyle. But I think what we what entrepreneurs like us don't understand, like we think. If something is working, then maybe if I just do more of it and harder, it'll work that much better. And so if you're a business successful, you think, well, let's just really double down and work twice as many hours and it'll be twice as successful. Um, and, and while that might be true kind of for a little bit, the unintended consequence is that you could burn out. You probably will burn out, as I would argue. And the, and the risk is when you do burn out, you're done, like you're toast. So maybe you doubled your efforts for one year, but if you burn out, your effort is now zero and your output's zero and you just ruined what could have been an output of, you know, a good output for a long time. And so what I would say is like the way I'm running Harvest Hosts now is super sustainable because I still work hard, but I don't work too hard. And I, you know, I hire people to, to help, um, so that the business is still getting all the support it needs, but not necessarily for me. And I, that way I can be happier. I can be at the Daytona 500 enjoying life. So I could, I could I could, run this business like this for, for the rest of my life. There's no problem. Like, I'm not going to burn out. And it's hard to really understand that, I think, until you've done the experiment of stepping up, up back a bit and seeing that business is going to be fine. So I don't know that it, it's hard to explain, but balance is super, super important. Um, and I guess the other way of putting that is the danger of burning out and ruining your business is super high. And so if you don't want to, if you don't buy the argument that you can step back and have a balanced lifestyle, then maybe take the warning that if you don't have a balanced lifestyle, you might burn out and destroy your business.
0: Yeah, and I actually really liked earlier when you were talking about coming out of the, the burnout and being like, okay, you know, I'm done playing full time. I need to get focused that you even were transparent and that you were forcing a lot of things. And I don't think we as entrepreneurs sometimes step back and say to ourselves, this is a really good idea, but I'm forcing it way too hard for it to be a good idea. You know, if it's a good idea, you don't have to force it this hard. You know, when you have a good idea, you can double your host sites in two years you know what i mean like that's where i think a lot of us get kind of confused and as entrepreneurs when we're thinking about or doing something now what i like to do is when i end the show i like to do a uh, a low and a high we we talk about a low since being on the road and then obviously a high i do find it interesting that you kind of went on the road because of a, a burnout low but i just wonder have there been any lows on the road that you know you think back when people ask you and you you know, it just hits you like, yeah, this was a, this was a tough time. Have you had any of that?
1: Well, well, of course I'm trying to think of like, well, I will say that the highs far outweigh the lows, which is like, I guess makes sense because I still love this and I'm still doing it. Um, I think at the end of the day, like the, like the freedom of waking up every day and deciding if I want to stay here or go to the next place Like that freedom to me is what i cherish most so it it makes all the lows worth it now some of the lows are things go wrong right like i had that wreck a few months ago where Mm. i destroyed my fifth wheel well and that ruined this trip i was really excited about and this big event that i was going to go to uh it, it, it messed up a lot of things and so that was a low um but you know what like it happens two weeks ago is i was traveling alone through Kansas and Missouri and and whatnot like I didn't see the sun for like six days and it was you know because it's winter and RVing in the wintertime can be kind of a bummer if you're not in the right parts of the uh, country and so there were some times where I was just kind of gray but then I got to Florida and it it turned around (laughs) so (laughs) um, you know there's like I don't know yeah there's always lows obviously there's like and, and things break a lot I mean that I look at it more you gotta spin mistakes and, and things breaking as part of the experience. Like that's part of the game, like look at it like a game. But um, like you said, like I've had a leaf spring break which ruined my, uh, my tire kept getting destroyed and like getting that all fixed was a pain in the ass. But, but it was a um, cool experience. On this trip, one of my batteries went bad. And so one day I couldn't, I couldn't pull any of my jacks up and I was stuck and then you know had to go out and find a auto store, found the right battery came back swapped it out you know it was annoying but it's kind of part of the game
0: yeah i think people's expectations especially full-time in these rigs is really unfair to the rig a lot of times you know they're just as much as they're built for camping they're not really built for full-time use and you know going cross-country and and all of that and so it is fun it is part of the adventure it's one of the stories you talk about and even my leaf spring breakage turned out to be two really great friends one that was a someone else that was dealing with it at the same campground i was at and then one was the host at a second time that it happened um and i I just like bringing out the lows because i think what's interesting is that you have lows in brick and mortar too you know i mean like if you're bricks and sticks house you have lows that are very similar and i think people think that they're they're just not in part of this lifestyle that we live some sort of magical lifestyle so that's why i like talking about the lows um can you highlight one of your highs i mean i agree with you that there's it was just a ton of highs, but can you highlight uh, a big high that you've had on this trip or on these trips? Sorry.
1: Oh yeah, I mean honestly, like where I'm sitting right now is is the is the high for me. <laughs> I'm 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 in the center of one of the biggest human you know sports spectacles uh, of the year, and I'm in my RV in my happy place, sitting at my desk with my laptop and my monitors and everything just like I like it, and I'm looking out over a place I've always wanted to be in the comforts of my environment. So like I don't know, man, like this this moment right here is exactly why I, I got into RVing. This is what I like built up on a pedestal in my mind. And then it's actually happening. And I think rarely, rarely do our like pedestal expectations come to fruition. And yet here I am looking at the World Center of Racing stands in my comfortable RV and I'm so happy. <laughs> so yeah, this is it.
0: That is pretty cool. I, I dig that a lot. Well, before I let you go, I want to make sure people know where they can uh, find you from both, obviously, Harvest Hosts. Uh, if you have personal social sites that you share, share those. If you don't, that's okay too. But just let people know where they can find you and connect with you.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, for me personally, I would love to connect. Um, LinkedIn is my favorite approach. Uh, if you go to joelkentholland.com, so joelkentholland.com, it just forwards you to my LinkedIn profile. So give me a, give me a, um, Connection on there and just tell me you heard you know, heard us on the podcast. And then um, for Harvest Hosts, just go to harvesthosts.com, plural, or look us up on Instagram, Harvest Hosts. I mean, you'll see all kinds of uh, wanderlust photos of our members at different locations. And I think it'll give you a real, a real idea of what Harvest Hosts is. And, not, and same thing on Facebook, you know, facebook.com forward slash Harvest Hosts. So yeah, a lot of places to find us, but really excited to connect with you wherever it is.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Joel, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. That was a lot of fun talking to Joel. And if you think Harvest Host sounds like something you want to try, head over to harvesthosts.com and use promo code ROOTLIST to save 15% at checkout. Now, before you hit stop on this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review and write a comment. And if you would, it would be amazing if you could share this podcast on Facebook or Instagram and tag us using the hashtag rootless living. And if you think you know someone that would make a great guest, or if that guest might be you, please send us an email at podcast at And let's discuss if we can tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.